0: you know you have a powerful story i'm mary demuth and in this podcast i share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story because of the outrageous generosity of god i believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now remember the old is gone the new awaits the restory show starts now season four episode six Today's podcast is brought to you by booklaunchmentor.com. If you've ever had a dream of writing and publishing your book or your story, you're going to find all the mentoring you need at that place, booklaunchmentor.com. And also you can register for upcoming seminars and all those intensives that are coming up, one in Geneva, one in February in Rockwell, Texas. So I would love to have you join me. I would so appreciate it if you could write a little review on iTunes, and uh, as we start gathering more reviews, I'll share the iTunes review of the week. So excited for uh, just that effort that you take just to take like two minutes of your life and leave that. It'll, it'll actually have a lasting impact on the show and help it to reach more people who need to know that their story matters. If you'd like to be on the ReStory Show, just go to marydemuth.com and you can share a quick little story, four minutes or less. There's a little microphone on the right-hand side. Click it and then record it and it will come to me in my inbox. Today I am welcoming my friend Ellen Graf Martin and she has had a lot of things happen to her and I don't want to really spoil today's episode by giving it all away um but suffice to say she has definitely had a lot of transition so if you're in the middle of transition uh, right now in your life I know that this podcast is going to be a blessing to you so here we go with Ellen Hey, everyone, it's Mary Demuth, and I am so excited to have Ellen Graf martin on the Restory Show today. Ellen, thanks so much for coming on.
1: I am so excited. to. I, I love having a conversation with a friend that we get to share, essentially.
0: I know people get to eavesdrop on our conversation, which will be really cool.
1: <laughs> but, and Cool and dangerous, also <laughs> dangerous. I trust you with a lot, you know? That's
0: right. I mean, this is dangerous. This is going live someday, not now, but later. So Ellen, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you live now, your family situation and all that.
1: Yeah. I actually grew up not too far from where you grew up. Like we probably could have shouted at each other across the water. I grew up on Vancouver Island in a small, well, it was a small town then called Nanaimo. It was a coal mining town and a blue collar town, but also blue collar and hippies. So that was kind of my background and where I grew up. And when I graduated from university, I actually ended up on the mission field. So I spent in total five years with Operation Mobilization. And um, through a crazy series of events, I'm now living in Mennonite country, which is very, very different from where I grew up, (laughs) kind of the opposite end of the spectrum from where I grew up here in Canada.
0: So you were a missionary with OM, and so how did you meet Christ growing up?
1: Oh, how did I meet Christ? Yeah, so when I was 11 years old, <laughs> I was a nerd. I I was really fortunate that my mom had taught me to read really early, and so by the fourth grade, I didn't have to take English class anymore in school because I was testing at an 11th grade level for comprehension and articulation and all of those different things that you need to know. And so they didn't know what to do with me and I was a pain in the neck. So they sent me to the library and the Gideons had actually given us Bibles. And so I took my Gideon Bible because I think to be very honest, I had read every single book in the library a couple times, <laughs> so I started reading my Gideon Bible. And um, I had been part of children's Sunday school and Bible class, and something that in Canada any Pentecostal kid would know: um, missionettes. Oh yes, <laughs> so we were that's right. there were missionettes, and then there were crusaders. It's not politically correct now necessarily, but. When I was a kid, it really worked and, you know, sword drills and all those things. Even though I wasn't a Pentecostal kid, I went there as a Lutheran kid. And so I knew all these things. And when I read that prayer in the back of that Bible that was committing my life to the Lord and repenting of my sin, I just knew. I agreed with it and I knew. And so I remember signing that page and I don't that Bible. I don't know where it is, but I remember signing that page and just being like, well, absolutely, this totally makes sense. This is what I've been kind of... I didn't think of it in this term, but like working toward, of course, this is what I would do. And so when I was 11, that's what I did. And God has always been, for some reason, very real to me. And even as a kid, he was just very, very real to me. I remember walking on my paper route and delivering papers and um, having epiphanies. (laughs) Like I'm an 11-year-old having these epiphanies of, you know, okay, it's raining on me and I'm miserable because I was the Pacific Northwest. It always rains, right? Yes. and uh I'm thinking well god is he's the same God who sends the rain and he's the same God who loves me. And I just, he was just so real to me. And it was actually at that same time that I knew I was called to ministry. And so, and I just knew it without a shadow of a doubt at 11 years old and which kind of freaked my mom out (laughs) Uh, because I remember asking her, how do you know if you're called to minister to be a minister? I said, how do you know you're called to be a minister? And this would have been in the, you know, late 1980s. And my mom said, well, dear, we're Lutheran. (laughs) Because at that time, Lutheran, little Lutheran girls did not become ministers. And so it was really confusing to me. But I do still really know, I remember exactly where I was, but I knew I had that call truly solidified in me. And, and so yeah, the rest is kind of the, the rest of the story. But that's where it started.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So I know you have a story that you want to share with the Restory listeners today. What is that story you want to share?
2: I think, yeah, there's a lot of story that I could share. But a number of years ago, one of my friends said, Ellen, your story is the story of Joseph. And that's kind of the story that I want to share. Is, um, and, and the story of Joseph is actually really hard. It seems like Joseph gets a lot of glory <laughs> um, because he always keeps having his circumstances redeemed. But we forget that he actually had to live through the circumstances before they could be redeemed. And so when I had a friend say, Ellen, your story is the story of Joseph, I I didn't know if I wanted that. And she actually said that to me as I was laying on my bed after having a, a fairly major surgery and having to deal with some big things past, after that surgery. She said, Ellen, you are a Joseph. And I remember thinking, thanks a lot. That's encouraging because it ended up well. But I don't really want to have to go through all these things. But now, you know, I... I really do see that this is a story and there are other Josephs um who don't want to walk through these things and and
1: to be very honest so I you know I went onto the mission field as a young person and um and life was good it was exciting and if you're ever on like I ended up on a ship with 214 kids from around the world 40 different countries and um there is no greater place to Breed youthful enthusiasm, than on <laughs> a ship full of really enthusiastic evangelical young people, and um, and it was a really amazing experience. But I remember coming home from that, and even going into that, dad was diagnosed with heart failure. He was really sick and was dying. I could only spend half the amount of time there and that I would have on the ship. But when I came home, I ended up getting a great job that led me into a total depression. It was ended up being an unhealthy job. I thought, you know, God has elevated me. He's brought me home. I remember earning money. You know, when you're coming out of university and from being a missionary, you're earning money for the first time. And I actually landed up in a place of terrible depression that took a while to come out of and shocked me, really, really shocked me. Mental illness is scary and shocking, and at the bottom of that, I, I don't know if I knew if I was ever going to come out of it, to be honest. I don't know if anybody else would. Have, uh, it was that pit. It was that pit, the, the Joseph pit. I really feel like that was it. And, um, and I remember being at the bottom of that. And I'm a doer. I'm a capable person. But I remember being at the bottom of that and saying, if for nothing else, I need to know in the bottom of this pit that you are enough. That if I have nothing else and if I can do nothing else for you, this is enough because you don't want. Me to do stuff. You just want me to be me, and I just kind of remember that as being a bit of a turning point for me. It didn't all lift immediately, but it was a turning point of being released from the pressure to perform, even in the middle of depression. Because when you're a high performer, like I think Joseph was, um, when you're kind of the charmed kid, um, there's a there's a push to perform. It doesn't matter who you are, and so just being lifted out of that, And for whatever reason, God trusted me again with ministry, and I ended up back with. Um, in ministry and on the mission field for 4 years and it was really good it was amazing the opportunities were phenomenal I, I think I first maybe encountered your books then and you then whether I knew it or not because I was working with books and publishing and it was amazing and then my religious workers visa was the same visa class that some of the 9/11 terrorists were on and I was working in the US and so I had to leave and again oh, wow. was, I had to leave and it was that you know had not walking into a pit, not jumping into a pit. It's not sin in my life. It was just, I'm, I, circumstances just very suddenly changed. And uh, so I ended up. You know, I said Joseph Pitt again. I'm like, okay, what am I doing here? And then God sent me to Ontario, <laughs> uh, where I live now in Canada. And I was, <laughs> if you know anything about Ontario, I was born and raised in the Pacific Northwest climate. And then I lived in Latin America, which was beautiful and warm. And then I was in Georgia, which is beautiful, hot, humid, and full of gnats. And then God sent me to a place that can get to be minus 32 Celsius in the wintertime. I had no idea what I was getting into, to be honest. And he sent me here um, for a job. I didn't know anyone. And um, it was honestly that, okay, now I'm going to a foreign land that I genuinely do not know. I remember walking in to a grocery store and thinking, I should know what to buy because this is my own country, even though it's like 3,000 miles away. I should know what to buy, but all the brands were weird to me. I had never lived as an adult in my own country and crying. I remember standing crying in the grocery store because I should know how to do this, but God had sent me to a place that was completely unfamiliar to me. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I moved here been, it was an amazing job. It was exciting. Met my husband. Life was really, really good. And then, at the bottom of the recession, four and a half years into this job, the company I was working for went bankrupt. They were a very well-established, over seventy years old, you know, company. And again, I just feel like. This is the judge who's like, okay, what now? Really? We just got married. And again, this is God just working circumstances. And so within a couple of weeks, I had two publishers, Thomas Nelson and Baker Publishing Group, who said that they would like me to continue doing what I was doing. And actually, Baker, um, their VP of sales and marketing, said, would you consider starting your own agency? And I, you know, I... (laughs) said okay (laughs) um but I had no idea I never worked for an agency I I had done marketing in all these different roles but I didn't know what I was I thought really me I'm the most unqualified person to do this but I did it and so we walked into that part of the story and it wasn't easy and but it was really good it was the right next thing to do but that didn't mean I this is kind of the Joseph like okay and you do this and you're really successful and you do well and then life goes really perfect right um and it doesn't. And it does and it doesn't. It goes good, but it's not perfect. And so some years into starting the agency, then my husband and I said, Okay, this has been our baby, but now we want a baby. And and that's when we had another circumstance. All of these are just ones that just happen. And um and we dis- we we discovered that I had tumors in my abdomen. It was totally unexpected, to be really honest, but shocking. We didn't we went through Three and a half, almost four months of not knowing whether or not I had ovarian cancer actually and um, and kind of walking through that and you're like, Lord, I have been faithful you know I went you know I went on the mission field <laughs> i've worked in Christian ministry for all these years I have led i don't know how many women 's Bible studies over those years, and small you know I started small groups and I did all these things and i I work with Christian people every day, <laughs> I work with Christian authors and and this is what I do, and I love you, and how come? Like, how come it's always hard? And I I always feel like people are always – I always think, man, I think I'm a complainer. I'm always saying it's just hard. Life is just hard. But it's good, but it's hard. And I think that that's kind of that Joe story, that if I hadn't walked through all of these things, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know how hard it – I wouldn't know what it feels like. Honestly, to be in any of, I wouldn't know what it feels like to lose your job. I wouldn't know what it feels like to walk through depression. I wouldn't know what it feels like to be faced with illness or cancer, possible cancer diagnosis, all of those things. And we were very fortunate in that when they finally did the surgery, they found out that the tumors were not cancerous. The the hard reality from the doctor was that it was stage four endometriosis and it was so bad that they actually couldn't do the surgery and they couldn't remove the tumor. So I walk around with tumors in my belly all the time. Wow. Which, <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> Yeah, creepy, but also um lets me feel justified for having like a mom pooch without having given birth. <clears throat> so that's helpful. <laughs> um but the really amazing thing is that in the midst of this, God had so prepared because in that was in um July, end of July, but back the previous January. This is January of 2012. My husband and I had been driving and we'd always planned to adopt as part of building our family. From the time we were dating, we just knew that we would. We just didn't know that was the way we were going to build our family. <laughs> um, but we had already started the process when they told us that that's what this was and that it would probably take my, and my life if I was to get pregnant. Um, because my, my just the way my body is. And so that was kind of the way and we were already in process. And we were, when we were having those meetings with the doctor it was in September. And what we didn't know is that that was the same doctor who would deliver our daughter. Um, that same month. So we were having these meetings with him in September and on September 21st of 2012, our daughter was born. We didn't meet her until the following June, but, you know, God was working all these things together, like genuinely working all these things together for good. (laughs) Even when, even when you say like, God, I love you. How come you're doing this? He genuinely is working the things together for good, even when we can't see them like really in the dark and through ways that you could never imagine, it doesn't make sense that this would be the same doctor who would be delivering my baby. (laughs) But he was kind of nine months after we started the process, he was delivering her. And nine months after that, she came home to us. And it was just amazing. And she's a remarkable girl. And, you know, God was redeeming it, even in the midst of all of that. Again, not perfect and not not easy but so good and even though it all of that pain and and there's a lot of grief that comes along with that but I would have never known and I would say honestly at the end of that journey it was it was funny somebody asked me to redo um, my purpose statement and I don't know if anyone is familiar with Lori Beth Jones, but Lori Beth Jones, I had done her training. Um, I, was a, I was certified through her with for life coaching teens. And as part of that process, we had to write out our purpose statement and, and do all of these vision statements. And I remember writing my purpose statement years ago in about 2000, it was 2005, and saying that I, I was created to identify, equip, and encourage excellence in myself and others. And I loved that. I lived that. That was me. And when someone asked me to do that again, you know, we adopted our daughter in 2013. And at the um, at the beginning of 2015, someone asked me to redo that statement. And I did it. And I realized that my word wasn't excellence anymore. My word was hope. And, you know, walking through all of these things, whether it's been... Um, depression or infertility or job loss or having to move countries without choosing to, all of these things. its I realized, you know, we were praying. I was praying. And then with my husband, we were praying, let this not be just about us. Let it be for others. And I realize now that that's the Joseph prayer, (laughs) that this would be for the redemption of my people. Whoever my people are, that what God has had me walk through and where he's landed me up, isn't in the end, it's for me, because God has elevated me to whatever, you know, he has elevated me to, I don't feel very elevated most days, to be honest, I kind of that, you know, that mom, I don't, there's a, there's a blog or a podcaster called Mom Struggling Well, and I feel like the mom's struggling somewhat well. <laughs> <days>. Averagely. Um, <laughs> averagely. The, mom's struggling, just mom just struggling. Um, But for whatever reason, God has allowed me to walk through these things and and come out on the other side. That might be the elevation is just being able to come out on the other side and that I didn't die in the desert so that and it's not for me necessarily, but it's so that others can have hope. And so I know now that it's to encourage and equip and um, communicate hope not just to, to others, but to myself as well, to know that there is hope and, and that this isn't the end. And when we're still breathing, God's still working. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's the story in a nutshell that I, you know, that I really feel like God has been writing and I'm only 40. So I'm saying that he's got a lot of story to write left. And I wonder what my, I wonder what my word will be when I'm 50 and when I'm 60 and when I'm 70. And I wonder if it'll still be hope, you know?
0: I, I love that word, and I think it's important. And I think the excellence one kind of goes to that striving part of you, you know, that achiever part, which I totally resonate with, as you probably know. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> We're all in that. But then you get pummeled by life a bit, and things become a little more eternal, like hope is a more eternal word than excellence. And one of the questions I have is, as you were waiting those nine months to adopt your daughter. What was that process like? When did you find out about her? Was it a smooth process? Was it stressful? And then tell us a little bit about, you know, how it's been since you've been her mom.
1: The great news about having a cancer scare is it makes everything else seem very unimportant. Yeah. and so we started. We started in January, and um, our process. We decided that we wanted to adopt um, locally. That we wanted to adopt through our like our uh, like through the foster care system. And um, we have such a heart for kids who are in foster care, and so this was our—that was our desire. And so we started the process. They actually told us we were an ideal family, I think, because we were relatively financially stable and. And came from fairly stable families, and and all of those <laughs> fairly stable. Everyone's family looks fairly stable until you scratch the surface, right? Um, <laughs> um, so you know, they said we were an ideal family. We were just kind of just right, and um, and so we thought, okay, this is going to be a great process. And so um, that was January. In February and March, we took training that in Canada is called Pride training, and it doesn't really mean anything about pride it's just like an acronym for a ridiculously long course um name and so we took that and it honestly we always say that was our soul-sucking time of adoption was when we were because it forced us to grieve for all the things that were going to be different about our story and different about our child's story because if you know anything about adoption, there is no adoption without profound loss. And so uh, for everyone involved, really, usually, everyone involved. And so that forced our grief in a way that we didn't expect. And it also forced us to consider open adoption in a way that we didn't expect either. Because, you know, in, in the past, everybody has talked about adoption as being kind of a neat and tidy thing where you can almost pretend that someone has and and, uh, and there are a lot of things now. They make TV shows about that um, where, because of the, the problems associated with that. But that was our hardest part was that, that March. And then it was April when they found the tumors. And so the, everything kind of took a backseat. And we actually said, you know, in this season, we had all this paperwork to turn in. We were like, oh, man, you know, do we even care about this paperwork right now? Do we just put it off? And we said, no, we're going to do it and just get it done, and turn it in before the surgery, and, and we're just, we're going to tell in Canada, it's called Family and Children's Services in our area, that we're just, we're going to let them do our home study, because, you know, we're not in a rush, and it'll probably take them a year, and whatever, and not name-dropping or anything. I had kind of two really big tours to do in September and October. I had Max Lucado coming to Canada, and I was his publicist, and I had to tour with him, and I had Justin Bieber's mom. So, Patty Millette. And so I had a lot of work to do in September and October when I was going to be recovering from surgery. I was supposed to take three months off, but I took three weeks off. (laughs) you know, this season. And I remember, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to email, um, because I am that doer. I'm going to email family and children services and just make sure they got our paperwork and everything's okay. And the intake coordinator that I emailed said, I'm so glad you contacted us because we have just, uh, um, hired a private social worker to do your home study and she's ready to start this week. And, uh, I had to say, would you mind if we waited a couple of weeks because I have to be with Max Lucado. Uh, so and uh, so yeah that was that was our story and so we started our home study in September and they It was the grace of God, honestly, that they paid for a private home study worker to come and do our home study. And so we finished at Christmas time In February, we met our social worker and just kind of everything was approved. And in March, she emailed us to say there's a baby girl that I have you as a first pick for, but she's not ready yet. There was some situation pieces that needed to be arranged. And in June, I emailed her to say any news. And she said, actually, yes. If you're interested, next week is the week. <laughs> so everything moved really fast for us. You know, even though we had said this is going to be like a three-year process, um, a year and a half from the day that we decided to do this thing, we were matched with our daughter. And we met her on the Friday before Father's Day in 2013. And uh, it was amazing. It was it was really amazing. And uh, we did end up, even though we were so freaked out about open adoption. We've ended up in a very open adoption with our our daughter's birth family, and they've become part of our family. And so we always say we adopted 12 people. And daughter at the same time and and that just even navigating that has been a huge learning curve for us it's not easy for anyone because again there's grief and especially when she came home to us she left their home and so journeying with them through their grief and all of that and they know they love where we're at they picked us they love where we're at um as a family but it's also hard and so and I'm learning that it's a continual because you know that was four years ago and we're still walking there different stages of being with her because we see them probably four times a year and and connect I text them all the time and it's been really really positive but it's been a new learning piece for us so that's been a piece of motherhood that most mothers don't have to do <laughs> but it's been really good it's been really good it's, I always say people are like what is it like and I'm like it's like getting more in-laws You know, that's kind of what it feels like. They're just part of your family. And so this is what you do. And, and you love them as like in laws. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, so that's been part of our mother, my mothering journey that I didn't expect necessarily. But, um, wow, it's really weird to become an instant mom. I'm going to say that it's just really, really weird because all of a sudden you cry about everything and you don't know why because you don't have pregnancy hormones or, you know, nothing to blame it on. And we chose to be pretty private about our process just because of everything we'd been walking through. And so some a lot of people didn't know we were adopting. And remember when we brought our daughter home um, that morning, the morning she came home, our neighbors didn't know. And so we pulled into our driveway, pulled into the garage and our neighbors were outside and we said, we got to tell you something. <laughs> and, uh, and so our, it was our one neighbor and his wife was inside. We said, go, you've got it. We've got to show you at the same time. And she came out and she said, did you get a puppy? We're like, well, not really. And she came, we had a daughter, like it was being, it was being instant parents. And um, like, I, didn't know how to change a nine-year-old's diaper because I hadn't done it in since I was a teenager babysitting and just things like that of, we weren't ready. We weren't ready at all because she came to us quite um, quickly.
0: So she was like already sitting up and at nine months, She,
1: she was crawling. She was pulling herself up the first day we met her. Um, She bumped her head and has – so all of our pictures, she has this big red blotch on her forehead pulling herself up. And, and, you know, she is such a – she was such a good baby and such – she is a delight. She genuinely is such a delight. She's got so much personality. She fits us so well. Um, All three of us are completely hard-headed in our house. But, you know, it's been hard because I'm an entrepreneur also. And I still have this marketing agency that I am the president of, and so learning how to be a working mom is hard, um, especially in a community where the culture is not necessarily built around working moms, uh, moms working outside the home. Let me clarify that. So I'm I'm pretty weird for my husband's family. <laughs> I think I'm the only I think I'm the only one who hasn't stayed home. I am the only one who hasn't stayed home um, as a housewife. Like a a stay-at-home mom. So, that's, you know, different and just learning what does that look like. And and our daughter has had some speech delays and, and different concerns that we have had to work with and some special needs. And so... Just balancing all of that, being an adoptive mom, which has its own set of pieces and, and just really wanting to understand trauma and all that goes with that. And, and she almost passed away. Our daughter almost passed away six months after she came to us. She got pneumonia and it was a really, it was. It was horrible, um, but she almost passed away. And so there's trauma from that because they had to do some crazy things to save her life. Trauma for all of us, to be really honest. And just even trauma, understanding that it is traumatic for any child to be removed from whatever home they're in. It doesn't matter if it's a dysfunctional home. It doesn't matter what kind of a home. It's still their normal and it's still their home. And so understanding the trauma related to that and and just just doing our best by her <laughs> to help her. And, and because I am that diligent person, <laughs> I'm going to say, okay, how to do this. So yeah, lots of different things, but she is really such a delight and she's completely athletic, which is such a shame <laughs> because neither my husband nor I are athletic, but she's forcing us to, to, we all bought bikes this year because last year at three, she just was three, not even three and a half. She was no training wheels on her bike. She was gone like a rocket. And this year, it's all about gymnastics and monkey bars and and swimming. She's a ridiculously good swimmer and all those things. So we've spent way more time being active, which is very good for us. <laughs> she forces you to be in shape. <laughs> uh, yeah, I always think though that I should be about a hundred and thirty pounds, and I am not. So just with doing. I'm like, how am I not? Like, it's because I stress eat also. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. it's, it's that extra element in there.
1: Well, what kind of,
0: you've mentioned your Joseph story and some pretty big pitfalls that you fell into. What kind of advice would you give to someone who's currently going through a Joseph type story, especially mm-hmm. if they're in
1: the pit? <laughs> yeah. I think when you're in the pit, I would say, well, I would say two things. One is to just it sounds really trite, but to look up because there is a way out of the pit, even if you can't do it yourself. There is a way out. And there is a God who is completely faithful, even when it looks like He he's abandoned you. I'm just actually in my one-year Bible, I'm reading about Job and his friends and the things that they said, and even the things that, that Job said. And Job was really honest with God Like saying, please just kill me because I can't do this. And why are you punishing me? I don't know what I did. And I think that being honest with God when you look up is really okay. Like I think God was really okay with Job saying, "I don't get it, and I don't know." Like I'm, my days on earth are limited. The one that I read today was basically my, my life's almost over. Just do away with me. And I think that there, and I don't know that that was a depression thing. I think that was just like a realistic, like I'm done. I'm tired, because sometimes in the in that pit, you're just so so tired. And, um, and I think this sounds like this is mixing Bible stories, but sometimes you just need God to send a raven into that pit, to feed in the pit. So keep looking up because he does provide even in the pit, he keeps providing and he is still so faithful. And the pit isn't forever. It might feel like forever, but it is not forever. And it may not be your fault. That's the other thing. I think sometimes we land up in that pit and we think it's our fault. Like Job's friends kept telling him that it was basically confess your sin and God will heal you and this will all go away. And sometimes we're just there. Like it wasn't my sin that led me to, you know, be laying in that hospital bed. It it wasn't my sin that, you know, landed in these different, it was just the way it was. This is life. And life is hard and our world is broken. And so trusting, honestly, being able to believe in the goodness of God, um, trusting that I would see his goodness in the land of the living was was the only thing I think really that could get me through. And I think the other piece was being willing to allow other people to come alongside. Because when I, you know, like when I came out of that hospital bed, when my friend said, you're a Joseph, you, <laughs> it was the most ridiculous circumstance. I was laying in my bed and I had to have this these oil things on my belly every day and I couldn't do them myself cuz I even needed like a toilet riser cuz it was basically like having a full cesarean section. And <laughs> so this friend, you know, she's I'm having to ding a bell and then she would come and do I'd have to like strip my belly down and she'd have to put this oil pack on and it's humiliating. But my husband couldn't keep doing everything and I needed help, so I needed to be able to not be humiliated, but to be a bit laid bare in the midst of it all. And and to learn what to share and what not to share was also a big thing for me. I don't know that I'm there yet. And maybe I'm oversharing even today, but, but learning what to share because it will give hope to others and encourage others and let them walk alongside. Because even then when she was doing this for me, she was able to share stories with me that I had never heard before, because I was quite literally laid bare. And it was that vulnerability, being able to be vulnerable and not so capable was really good for me at the end of the day. So even though I did not like it one bit, to be really honest.
0: So uh, in light of that, what has God done in your in the past year? How has he restoried you this past 365 days?
1: Well, the past 300, you know, this time last year, um, I was just grieving the loss of my dad. He passed. He, my dad, who was the one who I had to come home from the ship for because he was dying 20 years ago, actually didn't pass away until last winter. Last, it was the first day of spring, actually, in 2016 that he passed away. And so last summer, I was choosing to learn to grieve um, and to grieve through things and walk through them. And so at this time last year, I was just figuring out how to get my feet under me <laughs> in some way as I realized a new identity because I had never, I had a really good dad. And it's really weird when your parent passes away because you've never known your identity without them as part of it. I It's different from a spouse because a spouse you're only with for a while, if that makes sense. They're not there from the beginning of your story, but your parent is, whether good or bad, you know, they are part of your identity from the day you're born. And so figuring out my identity without him as a frame of reference has been a really interesting thing for me over the last year. And uh, and it's been good. And just learning how to walk through grief, to realize that one day it doesn't hurt as bad, but that it, Is still surprising that, you know, so grief has been a big piece. The other piece of how God is restoring me over the last year is that he's using my story. And so I've been shocked that this year I've been asked to speak at different conferences and be the keynote. And I remember once when I got asked to be the keynote at a, a women's conference, I thought, really me? Like, Really want me, and she said, "Yeah." And I think it's because of the story. It honestly, it's not because of me. It's because of the story God has given me, and our and my desire for Him to use it to share hope with others. So that's really that's been surprising for me, honestly. And that's how He's been completely. I don't know where it's going. I don't know what's happening next. But just being able to say, "Okay, I'll do whatever you want me to do," because. I would rather stay home and craft a lot of the time (laughs) or paint, or do something like that. Exactly. Thank you
0: so much for sharing your story today, Ellen. I know that there's so many facets to it that people can relate to. And I I just appreciate your honesty and your kindheartedness and your ability to spin that story in a way that brings hope. So thank you so much for being on the ReStory show today.
1: You are so welcome. Thank you so much.
0: I pray for you. Lord, I pray for those who are in transition today. I pray for those who are seeing things end and beginning new things. I pray for those who are watching dreams die and longing for dreams fulfilled. I pray that you would be in the midst of all that, that you would encourage and bring strength and perspective, even when we can't seem to see our way around or through it. Thank you for Ellen's story and thank you that she trusted you through it all. And Lord, thank you for her honesty and saying, hey, I was this Christian girl and I did all the Christian things and yet things didn't turn out the way I wanted them to. Lord, that resonates with so many of us. We think somehow there's a formula A plus B equals C and we do A and B and we wait for C and when C doesn't come, we get really mad at you. So help us to understand that your plan is not always the same as ours and that you have a better plan and sometimes it's harder than we would have expected. Help us to endure through it and find joy in the midst of it. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like more information about today's show, head on over to marriedmute.com forward slash 4-6 forward slash 4-6 and may you live a brand new story.